from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I get that you don't want to write something that no one's going to read. That makes no sense for a publication. But are you worried that if you take that to a degree that, hey, some publications have taken it, you're going to end up just covering, hey, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard all day, all the time? Like, what America wants to read is not what is necessarily good for America to read. Ron actually has hit on uh, an issue that is a huge source of debate within the news industry, which is... And there's a white gentleman, they will call him an 18-year-old teenager, and a a black person, they will call them an 18-year-old man. How does coverage of crime, or an area in particular, are you actually perpetuating stereotypes or negative images that maybe you don't even intend to? I'm Sarah Fenske. Last month, Alan Achkar moved back to St. Louis to take a job at a place he already knew well, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Alan is the paper's former Metro editor, and he's back as its new editor-in-chief. Alan replaces Gilbert Bylon, who moved back to Texas to be executive editor of the public television-slash-radio juggernaut KERA in Dallas-Fort Worth. And Alan joins us now to share a bit about his background and his vision. So, Alan Achkar, Welcome. Thank you, Sarah. Good to be on. So, Alan, you had a good job. You were regional editor with the newspaper company Gannett. You were also executive editor of its South Bend Tribune. What made you want to leave northern Indiana and come back to St. Louis? So, uh, no, great question. And uh, I think it was just such a great opportunity. I mean, this is really what it boils down to. It was a great opportunity in a great town. And uh, I believe um, that the St. Louis Post-Dispatch a historic news organization can remain so and can still do fantastic work that lives up to that reputation, whether it's in the digital age or whatever the medium. Um, And so to me, the great opportunity to come and lead a historic news organization and to take on the responsibility of maintaining that that tradition was, was fantastic, too good to pass up. And then St. Louis. We were here for eight years. Yeah. The Cardinals won two World Series when we were here. <laughs> you chose some good years to be here. We did. Uh, we took the kids to two World Series parades. It's hard to forget about a city when that happens, but also all the great neighborhoods, all the great communities, you know, from the city to the county and beyond. We loved the region. We loved being here. So the chance to come back to such a great community. Uh, was also part of the draw. I'm from Cleveland originally. St. Louis and Cleveland, very, very similar communities, very similar atmospheres and vibes. And so we always felt very comfortable here. Yeah. So th- those were the two big reasons. You kind of like that Rust Belt ethos. Yep. It's, it's where I grew up. Yeah. That's where my formative years were spent. Um, lo- my career has largely been in these kinds of communities. So yeah, we're comfortable here and we get it. We get the atmosphere, and so it clicks. We click here. So So you mentioned Cleveland. I want to dig a little bit into your past. Um, You grew up in Cleveland. You were actually born in Lebanon. Correct. You have a more exotic background than maybe some of us former Clevelanders. Um, But so you grew up there, and you ended up working at your hometown newspaper, Mm -hmm. that's the Plain Dealer, for 15 years. Did Mm -hmm. you grow up reading that newspaper, dreaming of writing for it? 
So that's uh, I gr- did grow up reading the newspaper. So my dad w- remains a very loyal newspaper print subscriber. So we got the Plain Dealer every day. And as most people will tell you, I started with the comics. Mm-hmm. I got hooked on the comic sections when I was young. Uh, then I graduated to the sports section. As I got older, I became more aware of the Cleveland teams. It was then the Indians, the Browns, the Cavaliers. And I got hooked on the sports section. That's really what actually hooked me on journalism was reading the great sports columns and sports writers at the time. So when I went to college, I sort of had an inkling I might want to pursue journalism. And then that was solidified in college as I sort of delving into the classes, working for the student newspaper. So, yeah, I would say that that drive to get into journalism was very much stuck by the local newspaper. And what sucked you into the news side of things as opposed to becoming a sports writer yourself? So I thought about being a sports writer, and I realized it involved initially probably having to cover a lot of high school sports games on Friday nights, which – and that is that is the way you make your mark. I wasn't sure I wanted to do that. But really what took me into news was what I saw was the ability of local journalism to change a community, mm-hmm. to make an impact in the community, and to make it better even if it's just in a small way. And that's what drew me to to, and I also had no dreams of becoming a Washington correspondent or working at the national level because I think it's very, very difficult to make a, a gigantic impact yeah. in terms of changing policy or changing communities. But local news, a great story that reveals great information and presented well can change a city. Yeah. And that's what drew me to local news. And that's why I've stayed in local news the whole time is because of that impact and that potential. And so that's that's where we've been this whole time. So a lot of people who start as a reporter, they just catch that reporting bug. They don't want to have to deal with the problems of management. And let's face it, in newspapers these days, managers are dealing with a lot. This has become mm-hmm. a, a complicated business model. What made you interested in that side of the business? It was the chance, and I was a reporter for over 10 years. Uh, it, what I realized was I like the chance to take on a broader role and be able to make broader decisions about, well, what's... It's not just what is the great story I'm working on. What's the broader vision? What's the broader impact? What's the broader aim? What are the goals that we want to set? And so the idea of breaking away from just my little corner of the newsroom, my set of stories to say, what are we doing overall? Mm-hmm. What are our goals? What's our objective? What's our vision? What, what's our mission statement? Where do we plant a flag and say, this is where we're going to make a mark? So the chance to get into that side of the business is what drew me into management. So, of course, that comes with administrative and other tasks. Sure. Uh, And, you know, it's easy to get caught up in that. But to me, the, the draw and the focus is still the ability to step back and say, what are we doing here? What do we want to be? And what do we want the public to know about us? And and what are we presenting to them? So St. Louis, this is not a new city to you. It's not a new paper for you. What do you want that paper to be? So I want it. So, okay, this is going to sound cliche. I want it to be to provide fantastic, unique, great local journalism. Okay, so what, what, so what does that mean? So it, it first of all, needs to be urgent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, we're in a digital age. So I'm not demeaning the print product. I love the print product. We still have a healthy readership base for the print product. We know where the audience is going. The audience is much larger in the digital space. Mm-hmm. And we know that's only going to grow. And so the understanding that we have to be urgent and immediate to serve that audience. I mean, SLTA has a giant audience, largest local web audience for news. That's a serious responsibility. That means people are expecting a lot of information. They want it quickly. They want it urgently. 
But that can't be all that we do. Where the Post-Dispatch really makes its mark and distinguishes itself is with that great enterprise, investigative, uh, step-back feature journalism that we can do very well. Mm -hmm. We hire people to produce that kind of work. We make it a priority. And so that unique, enterprising, fantastic content that distinguishes us from anyone else in the market. This is a very busy media ecosystem, so how do we distinguish Mm -hmm. ourselves? I believe we distinguish ourselves with that great enterprise, investigative, watchdog, um, in-depth journalism. I think the Post-Dispatch can do a great job providing that. It has in the past. It needs to do more of it, in my opinion. That's going to be one of our emphases moving forward. Um, And I think that's how we distinguish ourselves, and that's what I want the Post-Dispatch to also be known for. We're going to be immediate. We're going to have great sports coverage. We're going to have the best baseball coverage in the country. We're going to have great coverage of the arts and entertainment. And, but we are also going to distinguish ourselves with fantastic, unique, hard-hitting news coverage that you can't find anywhere else. That's what I want the Post-Dispatch to do. And if we do all of that, um, which I know sounds like a lot, but if we do all of that, um, that's how we live up to the reputation that the Post-Dispatch has always had. So that does sound like a lot. Um, and it, this, the unfortunate thing about staff sizes these days for major metropolitan dailies is that sometimes you have to make choices. You know, it used to be that you guys would have somebody at every city council meeting across this metro that has 90-plus different municipalities. How do you deal with being the watchdog when there just aren't enough people to watch everywhere that needs watching? So, yeah, no mystery. Our newsroom is much smaller than it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago. That means you just have to make choices, be smarter about the priorities you pick, and figure out how you're going to target resources. Okay, our resources, blah, blah, blah. Which, by the way, we still have a pretty healthy-sized newsroom by industry standards, by St. Louis standards. So this idea that we're down to uh, this tiny number of people is not true. But Mm -hmm. regardless, whatever the number is, um, it's just a matter of saying, okay, what are our priorities? What is our mission? And then we direct our resources, whatever they are, to that mission and to those priorities. It's just being smarter about your choices and your priorities and really getting at where do we distinguish ourselves? Yeah. Where do we make a mark? What can we do that no one else in this crowded media ecosystem is doing? So to me, it's just a matter of being smarter with priorities and choices. So if you have a question or comment about the priorities and and choices as Post-Dispatch Editor Alan Achkar is uh, getting his sea legs once again here in St. Louis, you can call us at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can also send us a tweet at STL on air. So, Alan, when we said we were going to have you on today – People that we heard from, a lot of people in the theater community. You're talking about the choices that you have to make. Um, It's recently been reported that you're discontinuing arts reviews. Is Mm -hmm. that part of the choices you had to make to pull back on that? Yeah. So uh, that, I think, was interpreted. You know, it's interesting. We've actually already made some changes, and there's going to be a lot more coming. That one got out on social media. So it, it, it's just one piece. Yeah. But I understand that people in the arts community feel very strongly about it. Here's the thing. We're not pulling back on arts coverage. I think it was misinterpreted as we're somehow abandoning arts coverage. Here's the beauty of the digital age. We get real-time metrics. We can look to see any story, any given time, any podcast, any video, how many people are reading it, how many people are watching it. Mm -hmm. And with arts reviews, we have several years worth of data. 
And what we have found as we've dug into the data and the metrics, that's part of my job. Sure. We need to understand, we're talking about making choices and priorities. What are people actually reading? This was always the challenge with print is we never really knew. I mean, you could do an annual reader survey, but they they tend to be crude. It's hard to really get tremendously great insight from that. In the digital sphere, not a problem. Yeah. I can tell you every 10 minutes what stories people are reading on our website. Okay, good to know. Or on our app or mo- whatever. So uh, one of the things that jumped out, just one of the things, was that the reviews in particular were not getting an audience. Mm. We've been doing them for a very, very long time. I understand there's a very strong tradition of that. They just were not resonating digitally. And so then you say, well, do we just keep doing that? Or... Do we want to rethink the arts coverage? Yeah. Maybe instead of reviews, we do different types of stories. What if we did more profiles of interesting artists in town? What if we did more coverage in advance of shows and performances? What if we looked for more trend stories and features in the arts community? Maybe that coverage actually appeals to people who would not ordinarily care about the arts or follow the arts. Maybe that's actually a way to actually grow the audience, Mm -hmm. present information in a better way rather than just doing these reviews that clearly were not reaching a large number of people. And so the idea wasn't abandoning arts coverage. It was just rethinking it, retooling it, saying it's a way to do it better, smarter, maybe actually reach more people. And that helps everyone, including the arts community. So if anyone interpreted that as, oh, they're walking away from arts coverage, no, we're not. We're just trying to do it smarter and better and reach more people. So one follow-up question to that. A friend who runs a theater company uh, emailed me, and he said that uh, critic Kelvin Wilson mm-hmm. is, quote, one of the only, I can't think of another, critics of color at a major daily paper in America. Mm-hmm. Losing his voice in that role would be a huge loss, not just for St. Louis, mm-hmm. but for nationally. Yeah, except Calvin's going to still be covering the theater community and still doing theaters. His voice isn't going anywhere. Yeah, so, it just won't be reviews. It, right. So, uh, you know, I, the, the question is, can we do, again, can we do stories that are a little different, better, that will resonate? So, um, yeah, so that's... Uh, we, we're not abandoning the coverage at all. I get that you don't want to write something that no one's going to read. That makes no sense for a publication. But are you worried that if you take that to a degree that, hey, some publications have taken it, you're going to end up just covering a hey, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard all day, all the time? Like what America absolutely. wants to read is not what is necessarily good for America to read. No, you're absolutely right. You cannot look at metrics of any kind and use them as a crude instrument mm-hmm. and just say, well, not enough audience. And then we're going to do cat videos all day. Okay, so I understand that this can be a slippery slope. Yeah. Uh, so yes, you have to be careful. What are the numbers really telling us? And you know, the, the other answer sometimes is to say, well, maybe you're just not doing it well enough. Maybe you need to do it uh, in a different way or with a different voice. And so absolutely, I think you can't just look at metrics in a bubble or in a vacuum and make broad decisions based solely on that because I think that can lead you some down, down some dangerous paths. So um, so I agree with you. In this case, it was several years worth of data, and we thought it was worth saying, maybe we just need to rethink it a little bit and see if we can get more audience that way. So, uh, But I agree. It's, you've got to be careful. And I, by no means are we going to be looking at digital metrics in this very kind of crude, knee-jerk way. We do need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation with Alan. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio.
Welcome back. We're talking today to Alan Achkar. He's in his first month as editor-in-chief of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. He's the paper's former Metro editor, comes in with a real vision that he's sharing with us today, also willing to take some questions. Um, and, and Alan, you mentioned that this sort of overhaul as you're looking at, at arts reviews and sort of doing arts coverage in different ways, this is just one of, of many areas you're looking at right now. Should we expect to see sort of other small eruptions as people realize their sort of pet area of the paper might be changing a bit. Well, I don't know about eruptions. That's a bit dramatic. Uh, but yeah, we are going to be reviewing. We have to. Uh, and, and it's something in the media industry in general, whether it's TV, radio, newspapers, etc. You have to constantly reevaluate. Technology changes. People's readings habits change. The audience moves in different directions. And so we have to constantly evaluate. This is a good time with me starting to, yes, evaluate other aspects. We're, we're, you know, arts is only a small piece of it. News coverage. The topics we coverage, how, how, that we cover, how we cover them. Do we have the right beats? Are we placed in the right areas in town for news coverage? We're evaluating that. Mm-hmm. There likely will be changes. I don't know what they are yet. We're in the process of evaluating that. Uh, sports coverage, we've got a fantastic sports team. Could they be doing some things differently maybe in the digital space? Probably. I don't know. But we need to talk about them and have them engage in that discussion. All areas of our coverage, you need to constantly reevaluate. You just you can't afford to sit still and just keep doing the same thing anymore. And so with me starting here, it's a good chance to have those conversations and just step back and say, are we doing this the best way we can? Is this the best use of our resources? So yes, there are going to be other changes to our coverage, some more noticeable than others. I don't know about eruptions, but uh, but but yes, uh, that's why I was saying the arch piece is just is just one piece of this. So this may be premature to sort of hone in on, but the independent journalist uh, Jack Grohn, who runs the site McPherson, he tweets, "I would be interested to know in which areas he would add additional staffers if he's lucky enough to have that problem. If he were to assign some investigative stories, what specific areas would those focus on?" He also adds, "Should reporters have a big presence on Twitter?" So uh, well, there's three different questions. Three there. big questions there. Uh, three different questions there. Uh, what, the first one was... Uh, if you had additional staffers, if you yeah. were lucky enough to just be adding people, um, right. where would you assign them? Well, I, I mentioned the one area. You know, yes, he mentioned, I think, watchdog enterprise journalism. I think that's something that we definitely need to be focused on and thinking about doing more of that type of work. There's a great tradition of it. Reporters there have done great examples of watchdog journalism. So I think that's definitely an area where we want to look to, do we want to put more resources in that? Or how do we free up more capacity to do that kind of work? Mm -hmm. His question about what areas, I've only been back a month. I am in no position to start to dictate where I think we should be. And in fact, that really should come from the ground level. I think reporters are best positioned to help answer that question. Our job as editors is to hone that and shape it. But if I'm the one coming in with all the big ideas, we got a problem yeah. in, in the newsroom. And I don't want that to be my job. I want that to be the reporters' jobs. Our job is to help them achieve it and figure out the best way to do so. As for Twitter, should reporters be on Twitter? I think reporters should be care- – news reporters especially, mm-hmm. but all reporters should be careful about how they engage in Twitter – um, and how much of their personal thoughts or political opinions might they might be broadcasting. But it's definitely a place to build a brand, build your name. It's a place to broadcast, you know, stories that we're doing and to let the public know that the stories that we're covering, I do think there's a place for Twitter. I mean, look, social media is a big driver. Yeah. I mean, Facebook, Twitter, even Instagram are big drivers of content. People look to them as primary sources of information. 
we can sit here and debate for three hours whether that's the effects of that, uh, but it's a reality. And so we have to play in the social media space. It is an important way for people to know the stories that we're doing for us to engage an audience. But we do have to be careful. The Twitter is very much the Wild West, as is Facebook. And so there should be rules and procedures and ethics that go into play. But yeah, I do think there is a role for that. I want to go to the phone lines. Ron is calling from Ferguson. Um, Ron, hi. You're on St. Louis on the Air. I understand you have some questions about uh, how the paper covers race and and crime. I I think they do a good job on a lot of areas, but I think there's individual bias among reporters. I'll give you an example. Like sometimes there's a a murderer and there's a white gentleman. They will call him an 18-year-old teenager and a a black person. They will call them an 18-year-old man. And I also look at how they use the, the term, like, say, North County. They lump it all together instead of saying Florence and Hazelwood. But if you go to the Chesterfield and they talk about Chesterfield, they'll say Chesterfield. They won't lump it in and just say West County. Mm. Same thing with the, the different malls. And so I think they do that for reasons. And uh, the last example was like during the Ferguson deal. They were referencing stuff that was happening at Mizzou to Ferguson. It was like, there's an event at Mizzou that's 120 miles from Ferguson. So we- Ron, thank you for those uh, for those thoughts about that coverage. Do you think Ron has a point with some of this stuff? Yeah, Ron actually has hit on uh, an issue that is a huge source of debate within the news industry, which is how does coverage of crime or an area in particular, are you actually perpetuating stereotypes or negative images that maybe you don't in- even intend to? Of mm-hmm. course, the Post-Dispatch would not intentionally want to demean any people or any areas, but is coverage by a news organization sometimes unintentionally doing that? When you write crime stories, how you present them, how you identify people, what areas they are from, um, his point about how you describe regions, because some of those can become code words or, or buzzwords. Mm-hmm. Fantastic questions, Ron. Those are all things we do need to evaluate here at the Post-Dispatch to make sure that we're not inadvertently perpetuating any stereotypes or misperceptions. So again, I've only been back for about a month. I can't speak to some of the more recent examples you're talking about, but 100% that is something on the radar is evaluating in coverage of crime and other news and how we're identifying areas. Absolutely something we need to be sensitive to and to be aware of and to change if we need to. So again, we're in that process of evaluating that. Um, I will say that reflecting the area's diversity is definitely a priority. This is a very diverse region, and our coverage needs to represent that in all aspects, culturally, feature-wise, and news coverage, business-wise, in all those areas. So he's hit on a lot of really good questions that are really the source of a lot of debate right now in the industry. Mm-hmm. Well, Ron, I want to thank you for that call. I want to go back to the phone lines. Sheila is calling from Chesterfield, and she has a question that I have a feeling, Alan, you are not going to be surprised to hear about. Uh, Sheila, hi. You're on St. Louis on the Air. Hi there. Thank you for talking with me. I am 66 and kind of set in my ways of uh, wanting the print version of the newspaper. I really enjoy it, but I've had to drop it because uh, several times I've put on a vacation hold and gotten a confirmation and the newspaper comes anyway. It just signals to anybody driving by, hey, this person is gone. Time to raid their house. Um, so I'm, uh, that's an administrative challenge. Could you help me um, 
feel better about resubscribing. And Sheila, thank you so much for that question and your devotion to the print paper, Alan. Yeah, Sheila, thanks for your prior devotion, at least. We're going to have to figure out how to get you back, by the way. If we have her contact information, I'd love to have customer service reach out directly to her so we can clear that up. We will get our producers working on that. Yeah, please. I'd, I'd like to have the contact information. So, Sheila, we can try to, to make amends and fix that. But I will tell you in general, yes, we uh, delivery is a big challenge right now, not just with the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. In every city in America right now, Every newspaper is having a challenge with delivery. The big reason is the same one that's affecting hotels, restaurants, and, and the service industry, which is finding enough uh, you know, carriers and workers. We have the added challenge that the hours aren't the greatest. No one wants uh, to work at four in the it's, morning. <laughs> it's, it's a, you know, and, and, I, and I grant you that. But, but you know, the, the great loss of workers, the great migration to other careers has affected newspaper carriers as it has other industries. And so it's been a challenge finding enough carriers. That's the issue. It's primarily a labor issue right now. And finding enough carriers and, and, and filling all those open routes that, that have to be filled. So that's why we are seeing some delivery issues. Our team is working very, very hard to address that, looking at all kinds of creative options. So I understand that people have been having issues. We're we're aware. We're trying to fix it. We're trying to work on it. If you know someone who wants to be a carrier... Like, really? That would be the most help, to be honest. That, We're getting the word out there. Hiring that, carriers. That would be great. Uh, but if I can get Sheila's contact information, I want to pass that on to our customer service folks to see if we can help her out. Okay. Well, we will make sure that, that we do that. Thanks again, Sheila, um, for that. Um, Alan, one of the other things that I heard from a whole lot of people when we said you were coming on today, uh, your editorial page editor, Todd Robertson, um, he's in a bitter fight with the mayor. He has also moved to Connecticut. His wife's job is there. Do you have any concerns about the fact that he doesn't live in St. Louis? Yeah, that's not true. He does spend a lot of time in St. Louis. He does split his time to a certain degree, uh, but he's still a very, very uh, recurring, and, and he's, he's in St. Louis a lot. So this idea that we somehow have editorial writers that are completely living in other areas is not true. So let's first clear that up. Sure. Todd is in St. Louis a lot. He circulates in the community. Uh, He's not by any means a ghost in in St. Louis. I I don't think he or I would categorize as fighting with the mayor. We don't really see ourselves as fighting with politicians. Yeah, I think the mayor Uh, would would say that, uh, you know, this is a a very bad relationship, but... Uh, well, and that's fine, and that and that's her opinion. Um, I've not met with her yet. It's on my list of things because I want to meet with her and see what the root of her discontent is, and to see if we can, uh, if there's some common ground that we can find there, uh, to know exactly what she thinks that where the coverage has been unfair, so we can sort of unpack that and and, uh, and air each other's each other's views. The editorial page, of course, is separate from the news department. Those two streams do not meet. And so what editorial does is completely separate from the news coverage. And so it's always important. I know that confuses people sometimes because they run back to back, but it's two separate operations. News does not affect opinion. Opinion does not affect news. And so it's important to also separate, is it discontent with the editorial page or the news coverage? Because that's yeah. often two different conversations. Yeah, and I think her, she would be very upfront about the fact her discontent is with the editorial page. Is that something that you would then be interested in? Or do you, do you expect that to be a fact? The mayor's not necessarily going to be happy with the editorial page. Yeah, and that's fine if a politician is not happy with either our news coverage. or I mean, that's kind of part of the job, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. But again, in this case, I've not met with the mayor. I intend to do so soon or at least reach out to try to do so soon because I want to get exactly the root of that and have really good detailed talk about that and then unpack what's there. How much of it is 
are there legitimate complaints we need to address? Are there misconceptions we need to address? Is it just an open, good conversation to have to air it all out? Sure. Um, so I think that's something that I want to do to figure out really what the, the root of that is. Now, that's not going to change what our mission is. Our mission is to, just like we would with any other politician or any other office. It's to cover them aggressively but fairly. So um, and then and then from there we can go. That's our mission. That's our job. Obviously, the mayor has her own uh, goals and job. And then to see, okay, has the coverage been fair? Have the editorials been fair? If not, why not? And where are the areas that we think there's some discontent and can they be addressed in some way? I'm going to squeeze in one last phone call. John is calling from Chesterfield. Uh, John, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air. Hi. Hi. Um, hey, I'm a subscriber that uh, consumes most of the content on my iPhone on the STL Today app. Mm-hmm. And um, it is a very difficult app <clears throat> for me to navigate. Um, the, the Probably the biggest con- issue is that if I am reading a story and scrolling through a story and reading it, the, the story will just peer, or the page will just periodically refresh, and it takes me all the way back to the top, and I got to scroll back down to the place that I was. And I don't know if that's an iPhone issue, or I've had two, a couple different phones. I've been a scriber for a while. It happens on both phones that I've used. Both have been iPhones. And the other thing is, there's always these pop-up videos. So, that, so John, I'm, I'm going to cut in here. It, it does sound like you have some concerns about this app. Is that something that's on your agenda with everything else on your agenda right yeah, now? Yeah, no. I, I don't know specifically about the refresh issue, John. That That's a new one, but I'm going to have to look at that. See, I don't know if that's unique to you, if that's, that is a larger problem. But looking at the app and how it functions design is definitely on, uh, on the list of things to do. How much we can change, how much is programmed in advance, I don't know right now. The pop-up videos is probably a, a revenue-generating thing, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, but I don't know if there's a way to disable that or how often that's happening. So good questions. App design, the usability of an app, I agree with you. It's got to be a seamless, kind of frustrating, free experience. So we, we will be looking at that. Now, the refresh issue might be a new one for me. So I'm, it's on the list. I'm going to take that back to see what's going on with that. So, Alan, that was the last question we're going to squeeze in from a caller, but I got to ask you one last question today, and that is, I think a lot of us in town assumed that Gilbert Bailon was was going back to Texas um, because of the plans that Alden has said this global hedge fund wants to buy Lee Enterprises. They have been very bad for newspapers across the country. Are you worried about the threat of this hedge fund coming after Lee Enterprises that you could have a new owner in, in relatively short order? Well, I mean, the list of things to worry about, you know, we are trying to figure out a business model that can sustain us in the future. We're trying to figure out how to build audience, build a digital audience, keep the print audience, deliver the paper on time. Uh, So, uh, you know, on the list of things to worry about, look, the only thing happened before I came here. uh, uh, And uh, Lee successfully pushed them away. Lee made very, very clear they weren't interested. Uh, They didn't see it as a, a friendly takeover. They wanted no part of it. And they successfully beat it back for now. Where that goes in the future, I don't know. I, if I had that, I would probably be a multimillionaire because I could bet on that. So I don't know where that's going to go. But, you know, at the end of the day, that happened before I came here. But we can be focused on what we can control here. I can't control those forces. Um, and we got other things we got to worry about as well. So uh, that's the most I can tell you on that. I don't have any more details beyond that. Well, Ellen Ashkar, I know you have so much on your plate. I thank you for making the time to join us today. Thank you very much for having me.
Today's episode was produced by Sarah Fenske with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.